Hello, and welcome to Ready, Set, Retire, an audio guide packed with information to help you achieve a successful retirement. I'm your co-host, John McComb, and it's my pleasure to join Lori Pinkowski every two weeks to talk about financial and estate planning, travel, hobbies, and so much more. Whether you are planning for retirement or already living your retirement dreams, Ready, Set, Retire is for you. And Lori, when it comes to investing, many people's first experience usually comes in the form of mutual funds. For someone new to investing, uh, wanting something that would uh, put their money into to work without having to put a lot of thought and time into it, mutual funds seem like a great solution. However, there are some downsides to having a portfolio of only mutual funds, and the simplicity which attracted many beginning investors comes at a high cost. So I've come a long way since my mutual fund days, and now that I'm happily retired, I've found alternatives to better serve my lifestyle, income needs, and long-term financial goals. So today, let's take a look at what a portfolio of mutual funds looks like and debunk some common misconceptions so that people can find alternatives that could better serve their investment goals. Yeah, exactly, John. I've been managing money for over 20 years, and you know I've seen the mutual fund industry change and develop over two decades. And you know it's not uncommon for people who are thinking about retirement or recently retired or well into retirement to still be heavily invested in mutual funds. In fact, we just had a call. Someone's invested in Van City kind of ethical funds for a long time. It really hasn't made a decent return over like a decade. So again, you want to make sure that you're reviewing your portfolio and see what type of portfolio you have. Many people work hard their whole lives and simply kind of stuff money into mutual funds at the bank because they didn't want to stress about it. They never found a financial advisor that could provide a properly diversified portfolio that's more transparent. And while there's benefits like fewer line items on your statements, sometimes accountants prefer a mutual fund because they just get one slip sort of thing. There's many more benefits to having a diversified portfolio of stocks. Maybe portfolio is 100% in mutual funds for many reasons, which we're going to get into here, John. Yeah. So let's start out with the, the upside, the positive. When is it suitable to invest in mutual funds? I would say that when you're trying to invest in an area that's very specific, such as a global money managers, global fund managers, if you're trying to get into the European market, which again, for us, it's been out of favor. So we don't have any fund managers that have allocations to Europe or South America or anything like that. But that's kind of when you would want a professional to manage some of those very specific geographical areas, as well as fixed income managers. We choose to use bond fund managers who are also active. The reason we do that instead of investing in bonds directly is because, frankly, They do better because they have access to better fixed income, whether that's in the States or globally, like you and I don't have access to that. So that's why we want to use bond managers for that. But again, you have to be careful which bond managers you're allocating any money to because they're definitely not all cut from the same cloth, so to speak. Some just buy a bunch of bonds and sit on them. Again, when we're in an environment when interest rates are changing and with that, you need a manager that is actively managing the risk, uh, looking at terms to the maturity in terms of bonds, as well as what sector 
do they want to be in corporate bonds, government bonds? That's very, very important right now. And all of our bond managers beat the index, bond index by a landslide. And remember, it was one of the worst bond markets in the last 40 years. So it's important to have a good bond manager, in my opinion, steering the ship. We have access to individual bonds here, but uh, it's slim pickings here in Canada. There's not a whole lot of new bond issues. So that's, again, why we use bond managers for that. So there's a couple reasons to really allocate to fund managers, but mostly in my opinion, it's better to have a diversified portfolio of stocks. It's just more transparent. You pay lower fees and for other reasons as well. All right. So what are the downsides? What are the issues of having a portfolio that's only invested in mutual funds? Uh, One of the things I noticed early on was and you mentioned it, the, those fees, but there are other roadblocks, other issues as well. Yeah, exactly. So a portfolio consisting of only mutual funds is really not the best option for high net worth investors or people that want to have some transparency in terms of what they own. There's better options out there. You can have lower fees. You can be better diversified. And I will explain that as well and have real proper risk management. In in my opinion, the problem with the mutual fund industry is there just isn't a lot of risk management. You as an investor or a client thinks that the fund manager is buying and selling on your behalf, but a lot of funds are not as active as you think they are. And again, their ability to really protect portfolios isn't there. So then people would say, okay, well, I have an advisor that will protect me if things go south. And the problem with that A lot of financial advisors that only do mutual funds tend to have a whole lot of clients because they're kind of in a set it and forget it type portfolio model. So they put in a bunch of funds, you're in those funds, you think everyone, you've got two people steering the ship, your financial advisor as well as the mutual fund manager. But unfortunately, when things go south, often everyone puts their hands up and doesn't really do much. And so you have these kind of more volatile years once in a while, and it's just important to understand how your portfolio is being managed. One thing that I had mentioned was the lack of transparency, John, with mutual fund portfolios. And this is something you probably noticed back in your day when when you were invested in funds. You didn't really know what you were invested in, right? You just saw your statement and it said so-and-so fund, and you said, okay, well, I hope they know what they're doing. But the problem is, is that can lead to even more anxiety when markets are down. You don't know if a fund manager is raising cash. You don't know if they're buying and selling on your behalf. You just see your portfolio going down in value. And that's where it can cause more stress as well, not being able to see the investments that you're actually in. And it's very difficult, you as an investor, if you're in mutual funds, to really understand what you're holding, what sectors, what stocks do you have exposure to? And that's why transparency in my opinion is so important. Well, you know, it's interesting on top of the fee issue, the thing that I noticed, and a lot of people I think find themselves in this position, they work for a company, a corporation. The company has contracted with one of the major, let's say, insurance companies. So they have a pension plan with them. And when you join the company, you join that pension plan. I was lucky enough to work in one place for almost 40 years, but there wasn't really much I could do about my pension plan. I I had no input into it, really. I could select what the insurance company was offering in terms of product, but beyond that, there was nothing else. And later on, after you and I began our program together and you started managing some of my money, you actually picked out the places that I should be in the insurance company stuff because I had no idea. And I think a lot of people find themselves in that situation where they don't have direct control 
over where their money is. They know it's with XYZ insurance company, but beyond that, it's they don't have any input. Yes, you're totally right. And you weren't the only one in that situation. We have many people that call us and, you know, they maybe have a smaller RSP outside, but then they have a lot locked into these company pension plans. And you're right. It's great because they're matching and all that kind of stuff or they're contributing for you or on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the issue lies in the quality of the investments that you have, which are always through an insurance company, I would say. They're very well known for these types of plans. And the financial advice you're receiving is basically nil. nil. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so that's where we, again, go the extra mile for clients who are in that type of situation where we are picking the funds the best we can until they do retire so that we're able to take those funds over and properly manage them there on out in not mutual funds and separately managed accounts where you own your individual stocks and so on. But yeah, it's definitely a process. And sometimes we have to pick those funds for years until people retire. My opinion is, is whether your your assets are somewhere else or with us, you're our client. So we want to make sure that they're managed as properly as they can be until they actually can be transferred over to us. So that was our, our reasoning for that. And, and you're right, it can be very frustrating for the client because you don't have a choice. Mostly, there are some plans where you can transfer early, but most I would say is you have to wait until you're retired. On the fee issue as well, oftentimes you know that you're paying an advisor, but uh, you don't know that there are also underlying fees that don't show up on your statement uh, every month or every three months, however often it is. So talk about that a bit, management fees, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody knows that you pay a fee for service for management of your money. The problem I have with mutual funds, again, even though they've brought a lot more transparency than they used to have into the industry, there's still a much higher fees than really what you can get out there. And fees can range anywhere between 1.82%, as high as 3% is what we've seen, especially through some of those insurance companies. And so a lot of the times you don't really see that rate. The other thing that we come across quite frequently is that a lot of financial advisors use what we call F-class funds, which is what you want them to use if you're in a fee-based account with an advisor. And say you're paying you know 1% to the advisor. A lot of people will just quote that to me. Oh, I'm paying 1%. Well, no, the funds, if you have 100% in mutual funds, there's an underlying fee for those funds as well. And so you have to always keep that in mind when, again, choosing an advisor advisor or assessing your mutual fund portfolio. You have to bring both into perspective. It's not just the fee to your advisor. Every mutual fund will have an underlying fee. The other problem that we have seen and we have seen lately is when advisors are putting their clients into fund of funds. So you got a fee to the advisor, you got a fee to the manager of the fund, but then there's underlying fees to all these other funds. And I was going, you know, what is the purpose of this? People are just being gouged here. So be careful. And and the only time I ever see that is in like 100% mutual fund portfolios. So you want to be cognizant of that. The other thing about fees and portfolio management. So mutual fund fees cannot be expensed for tax purposes. So what you pay is what you pay. In terms of proper portfolio management, if you're in what we call a separately managed account, where again, you have all your individual holdings, it's very transparent. You see the fee hitting your account every month. At the end of the year, you have a summary of fees and that again, in non-registered accounts, you give that information to your accountant and it can be expensed. So even if your fee is, you know, one and a half percent, it ends up being 1% or less for the management of your portfolio. So mutual funds don't provide that transparency 
that most people need or want or should have. And number two here is just with the fees. Usually fees are higher. Often you don't know what you're paying and they can't be expensed for tax purposes. And at the same time, we know that diversity of one's portfolio is generally a good thing. But sometimes uh, in mutual funds, you can end up in as you say, many, many different funds that you might not even know about and can actually own hundreds of different stocks, which might be too much diversification. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people talk about you want to be diversified. That's what's going to save you in life. But no one really talks about the problem of over diversification. And that's where I see that happening a lot in mutual fund portfolios, because I think advisors feel that if a client sees 10, 12 mutual funds in their portfolio, that the client's going to feel good. They're diversified. They see all these different allocations. You know, you've got some in fixed income, but you've got some in Canada, the US, Europe, wherever, large cap, dividend paying, whatever. The problem when we do our analysis on those types of portfolios, John, is that we see that in a portfolio that may have 10 or 15 different mutual funds, that those investors may have upwards of a thousand stocks in their portfolio. And so we're not even talking about hundreds now. They could have over a thousand different stocks in their portfolio. So tell me what you're really paying for. You own the global index, let's say. Uh, You're going to write it up, you're going to write it back down again, and really there's no benefit for you. And so when we see that right away, people need to be helped. It's kind of, to me, like a mindless portfolio management strategy. Just put them (laughs) in a bunch of mutual funds, don't think about it, and then you're paying like 2 to 3% for that. So I always say I'm going to write a book about the mutual fund industry once I'm done. It might be too late by that point. <laughs> it's true. I think it would be too late. I think I've been talking about these problems for years now. But yes, you but have. it just makes me You've been talking to me about these problems for a, at least a decade or more. And and the problem remains the same. It's it's interesting. Yes. It doesn't seem to change. You mentioned a bit earlier that people know more, a little bit more about mutual funds, and a lot of that has to do with the effort that you put in, I know, many years ago to try to force some transparency into that area of finance, and lo and behold, it worked, and you got some more transparency from it. But it seems like the, like the basic underlying premise is still a problem, potentially. Yes. You know, you're right. I mean, I've, I was, you know, yelling from the mountaintops at one point about back end load mutual funds and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I always say I I built my career on outing mutual funds (laughs) for a good reason, though. You want to protect and educate investors what they don't know about. And really, the mutual fund industry is self regulated, which also is a question. I think that having education and knowledge is power. And so I think there have been changes in the mutual fund industry with, you know, transparency, more transparency of fees and no back end load. There are steps in the right direction. But I still think it's a problem when you're paying a fee for nothing. No active management. You're sitting a bunch of funds. You're hoping they do well. Well, in fact, you're just moving up and down with the market. So and this over diversification situation I see quite frequently. And so when I actually explain to people this is what's happening and this is the drawback of it, then people really understand I shouldn't have 10 or 15 different mutual funds because therefore I own way too many stocks or holdings and I'm never going to have decent performance that way. So that's really uh, another one is the with transparency is the over diversification. 
So from a portfolio manager's point of view, from your perspective, how do mutual funds compare to other investments? Well, yeah. So this is a a biggie, John, especially going through 2022, (laughs) which was a very challenging year, as we all know. It was the worst year since 2008. So it's been no fun for anybody. But in terms of risk management, the lack of risk management in mutual funds is also an issue. Most of them, not all, apply a buy and hold approach. They can't even really protect you if they want to. Most of them have it in their mandate that they can't go over 10% in cash. So I often say, even if you see a freight train coming for you, i.e. bad market, they're not going to do much in terms of raising cash and, and trying to make changes that way. You know, you can't sidestep a bear market as drastic as it was in 2022. So people are going to be down. But how much you're down matters because once the markets change course, which they will, markets don't stay down forever. And when you have that time where it does turn, you're able to get back to where you were much quicker than if you allow a portfolio to drop like a brick with the markets. And so with mutual funds, they have it written in their mandate. Sometimes they have to own certain sectors and weights within those sectors at all time. They don't have that flexibility that a lot of people expect funds to have. For example, you know, in a, you might be in a North American equity fund that requires a minimum of 60% of the assets invested in Canada, for example, at all times. Well, sometimes Canada is good, sometimes it's not good. So that flexibility is really important. The activity is important. Getting in and out of sectors, raising cash, all that kind of stuff. And what we see a lot with mutual funds is closet indexing. So closet indexing, when you have a mutual fund and it really replicates an index or the index, and instead of really thinking outside the box, trying to earn people a better return or reduce the impact of a falling market, they're just investing closely in line with an index. And so that often doesn't help people. But again, what are you paying for if if that's what it is? You could simply just invest in an exchange traded fund in the market if you were fine with that kind of volatility. So it's okay to pay a fee for service, but you want to make sure that you're getting that service behind that as well, whether it's the portfolio management or actual service from your financial advisory team. So how do mutual funds protect during times of market volatility? Because I know you use several different mechanisms to protect portfolios when we have a year like uh, last year now. But what about mutual funds? One of the biggest issues is is that the inability to raise cash if needed, because sometimes you and I know cash is king. During a bear market, everybody wishes they had all cash, but that's also not a good idea for many reasons, which you and I have, have spoken about, because when the markets turn, they turn quickly. But what you do want to have is is some powder dry because when markets come down, there's lots of great buys. Again, don't look at it as a market downturn as a totally negative event. There's a lot of opportunities. The wealth that is built over the next three, five, 10 years is probably going to be all based on what's happened right now in 2022 and probably the first half of 2023. So instead of looking in the rear view mirror and going, oh, 2022 was difficult, you want to look at it as a positive thing and get ready for that. That's what we do. We do a lot of research of the backgrounds to go, okay, what stocks do we want to own heading into a recession? What stocks do we want to pick up during the recession? 
you would think that a mutual fund is doing the same sort of analysis, but sometimes it's written to their mandate. And most of the time that they can't protect you the way that you think that they would be. So that is part of the problem in terms of risk management. And so that cash restriction is a problem. Like when we were going through the COVID crash, John, you might remember that we had the portfolios up to 50% cash, 60% cash and bonds. We also didn't know how that was all going to turn out. But again, what was just as important was not just raising the cash, but putting it back to work because that crash was very quick. That's why people don't even talk about it anymore because everybody was kind of back to where they were within four months, at least our clients, markets took longer. And that was all because of the cash we had and going back into the market. So that flexibility allows clients to sleep at night. They can go online. They can see what we're buying and selling, how much cash they have. And even last year, really for a big majority of the year, we had a lot of cash and still are raising cash going into 2023 or replacing with recessionary type stocks. You and I were speaking before we got on the podcast. And so I was talking about gold and staple type stocks, utilities, things like that, telecommunications. Those are stocks you want to own going into a recession. And what we want to not own and are getting out of on strength sometimes are sectors like energy, for example, railways, technology. Those are areas you don't want to own going into a recession. So there's a lot of strategy behind what we do. Not many people are as active as we are. And then mutual funds, sometimes even if the guy was super smart and wants to be active, he has his hands tied because he's managing a mutual fund. Well, we talk uh, a lot about and uh, you use various risk mitigation strategies. So what can an investor do to maintain a well-balanced portfolio using those strategies? Three main strategies that we use to mitigate risk would be, one, reducing equity exposure. And when you do that, what we're looking at is the overall, where do we want these portfolios to be? Where do we want clients to be? Uh, 50% equity exposure, 60 or 70 And from there, we'll make a decision that when we're raising cash, does it stay in cash? Now, does it go into a cashable GIC sort of investment because you can get four to five percent? Or should we be looking at allocating more to fixed income bonds, which we've also been doing in the past few months? And we'll look at adding more going forward. Raising cash, as we talked about, to just hold cash is another way to mitigate risk. So cash isn't an investment strategy. It's just there to cushion the blow and to, again, jump on those opportunities when they present themselves. And then having an exit strategy for stocks is really important too. You know, people talk about stop losses as if it's a hard stop. It can't be that way because sometimes the markets are irrational and they throw the baby with the bathwater. So you don't want to start selling all your quality companies when markets are having a panic phase. As a portfolio manager, looking at the situation, raising some cash, having cash on the sidelines, but keeping some high quality stocks during panic uh, situations as well is ways that we mitigate risk. But then again, we want to participate when markets get healthy again. So you can't be scared of the stock market forever because it had a down year. You will shoot yourself in the foot. Most investors sell at totally the wrong time. And so you want to make sure you're dealing with a financial professional that has experience going through things like this. They're not fun, but uh, it's important that you understand the strategy is transparent. 
You understand what you're paying for. And that's where I see a lot of problems, frankly, in mutual fund portfolios or when advisors are recommending 100% in mutual funds. I see that a lot happening at the banks where, you know, you've been dealing with your banker forever and you've got your money there. Or again, John, like your situation when you have a pension through a company, people have 100% in funds. So even those people knowing down the road, it's going to be able to be transferred. You can still find help. It doesn't have to be through that insurance company with your pension fund. You know, you just got to be dealing with the right financial advisor that will help you along the way. We started out talking about mutual funds as kind of an easy way for maybe younger people to get into the swing of investing. But when someone kind of goes, wait a second, maybe I need to have somebody else look at this. What can investors do if they're in that uh, all mutual fund stage and, uh, and want to get out of it? The first step is to have someone provide you an analysis of your holdings and what's happening in your portfolio and give some advice on how you can improve that, evaluate performance. Most could properly and accurately figure out how much you're paying because you probably can't figure it out yourself. It's just too complex. So often when we're doing an analysis on someone's mutual fund portfolio, we're providing all the information on that as well. And when I see a 100% mutual fund portfolio, I always say there's no way that a properly diversified portfolio can't compete. Usually they have more transparency, their fees are lower and their performance is better and they have better risk management. I mean, I think that's what investors are looking for. Yeah. What else do you need? A good relationship with your financial advisor too, right? Because money management is part of it. But as you and I know, a big part of it is the retirement planning, life itself, health issues that come up. You want to have a team that you can lean on for all sorts of things, not just the money management, but it is so important to long-term success and helping you not to worry excessively during these down years as well. All right. So we've got uh, the first one for 2023 in the bank, so to speak. We always like to wrap up with a quote. So what do you have for us to kick off this new year? Having a good active manager that keeps up with market volatility and shifts asset weighting to changing market conditions will provide a defensive investment strategy that will set you up for success in the long term. And who said that? Lori Pinkowski. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. Uh, It's true. Perfect. Perfect. And a great way to start off 2023. Yes, it is. And so I'm looking forward to (laughs) chatting with you again. I mean, last year we had so much to talk about. This year, I'm sure, will be eventful. It always is. That's why I say uh, what I do day to day is new and exciting. And I love chatting with you and looking forward to 2023. Never a dull moment. Not last year and certainly not this year. And you can learn all about it right here on Ready, Set, Retire. We'll uh, catch up and do this again in a couple of weeks. Sounds good, John. Thanks. And that's a wrap for this week's edition of Ready, Set, Retire. If you're interested in learning more or have any questions, please don't hesitate to call Lori and her team at Pinkowski Wealth Management, 604-695-LORI, 604-695-5674. For Lori Pinkowski, I'm John McComb. Thanks for listening and join us again in two weeks for another edition of Ready, Set, Retire.
The comments and opinions expressed in this podcast are the result of work done by Lori Pinkowski. They may differ from the opinion of Canaccord Genuity's research and should not be considered as representative of Canaccord's beliefs, opinions, or recommendations. All views expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the CIPF and IROC.